Hello and welcome to another episode of Straight Talk. Now, this is not the comforting voice of Nikki Shields or the appearance, if you're watching on YouTube. This is me, Sauna CB. I'm taking over today uh, instead of Nikki Shields, but I'm sure she won't mind too much seeing as we are colleagues on Formula E. So today is a different sort of podcast, but if you have been a fan of the podcast or listened or watched for a long time, the OGs, if you will, you might recommend or might remember the 11 Zs uh, with Engineers episode that Jerome D'Ambrosio presented, where we asked members of the team questions that were sent in by social media and fans of Mahindra. And we're going to do the same again today, but I can't do it on my own. I need some very talented individuals around me to uh, answer these questions. So if you will, could you go around and introduce yourselves, name and what you do in Mahindra? I'm Dilbag and I'm the boss. I like it. Uh, my name is Joseph Dora and I'm the performance engineer of Jérôme. Uh, my name is Cyril Blay and I'm the race engineer for Pascal Verlaine. My name's Tom Davis and I'm the race engineer for Jérôme. My name is Vinit Patel. I work for um, talent and recruitment and special projects. My name is Angus Lyon and I'm the head of the powertrain. So that was very brief, very quick introductions. I need to dive a little bit deeper. I think people want to know a little bit more about what those those jobs entail. So uh, let's start with Cyril, Pascal's engineer. Tell me what that's like being Pascal Verlein's race engineer. It's challenging. <laughs> <laughs> now, basically, I'm the first interaction between uh, the drivers. So when we go on track, he's got a series of engineers to look after him, but um, I'm his primarily target you know all the communication uh, from the drivers and the crew goes mainly by me so uh, yeah we work closely together and the role of the race engineers is to be able to extract the best out of the drivers and to be able to communicate you know so after a while you get used to each other and um, you get you know this uh, understanding you know so the less we talk the more we understand each other and that's the main. No, but it's true. That's yeah, excellent. That's the main. That's the main thing with the race engineers and 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 the drivers is to be able to understand each other, speak the same language, um, and yeah, be able to get the best out of each other. You know, without speaking too much. <laughs> so the more efficient we are on track, the better we understand each other. Uh, the more I can extract from the car to give Pascal a good car, and vice versa. Um, the best I can extract from him in terms of the driving, etc. And uh, the best result we can achieve, which make the boss sometimes happy <laughs> and this is obviously pascal's second season how is he i know word settling in probably isn't the best thing to do but how is he getting on now he's into his second full-fledged formula e season yeah i think he's looking great um obviously this season is not the start that we were hoping um or i think deserved but uh he's in good spirit and obviously being a rookie last year he, he, it's undeniable that he's got really tremendous speed you know he's a very fast drivers um, dealing with energy this year is a bit more challenging because as you know this year the regulation have changed so uh, the race are a lot more based towards uh, energy management and last year it was the case but um, because of focus yellow and um, I'm sure as you guys see the, the races they were quite eventful so last year we always had a safety car focus yellow which make the race a little bit less biased towards energy management when uh, this year it's a, it's a much bigger challenge so in that aspect, he's, he's still learning. He's learned a lot from last year, but uh, yeah, there's still a, a little bit of development to do. But we can see Pascal is getting very comfortable with the team now and uh, having the opportunity to work with him in the second year. Obviously, it's uh, uh, yeah the foundation are there. So now we just need to deliver and get the result that we deserve. So this is a question. This is probably a bit more technical. I want to know about powertrains, as I'm sure everybody listening does. 
Can you talk us through what your role is within the powertrain world of Formula E and Mahindra Racing, but also the aspects that make a powertrain and the, the, I guess, the getting the most of it out you can different to perhaps other motorsports where it, it doesn't exist? So the powertrain itself is fairly simple. Um, in principle, it's, uh, it's an electric motor with a fairly simple transmission system. The battery is obviously standard between all of the cars, so we all have exactly the same battery. The, the, when we're designing it, we're trying to get the, the best combination of something that gives us the performance. We have limited power coming out of the battery. So we've got to convert that electrical power into mechanical power to accelerate the car. <coughs> me. The system has to be efficient, it has to be light, and we've got to control it. So the, the first part is just designing that, developing that off-season. We can't change it through the season, so once we start racing, the powertrain can't change. The second part is, is what Cyril started talking about, is all the energy management. We don't have enough energy to run to the full, full duration of the race flat out. So we're having to take actions during the race to try and save energy without compromising lap time as much. So there's a lot of intelligence in, in what the drivers do, in what the engineers do, and what we do with the systems on the car to try and optimise the use of that energy. And it really is as simple as trying to get the car to the end of the race as fast as possible without using any more than the allocated amount of energy. Okay, and this is definitely something that I've wondered as a working on Formula E and also yeah. as a fan, I'm sure people watching and listening have thought the same thing. Formula E often gets referred to almost as, as close to being a spec series as, as, as it can. I know that's not strictly true, but how much is there within the powertrain that can actually be changed in order to get the most out of the car? There's an awful lot. Uh, it's a spec in terms of the fact we've got fixed power, we've got fixed energy. But everything downstream of the battery, the motors, the electronics, the software, the gearbox, the, the differential, the rear of the car, is entirely up to the teams. Um, now, obviously, we've all, over the period of the four or five years that it's taken us to get to this point, we've all converged on, I wouldn't say identical, but quite similar powertrains. You know, back at the early part of the championship, we were six-speed. We were a, what's called a longitudinal motor. Mm -hmm. um, all of the teams now running a single speed gearbox, but the detail, it's, it's a bit like aerodynamics that, that no one solution is right. So all the teams have honed in in slightly different speeds, torques, masses, locations of components, as well as some of the detail of the materials. Um, so there's quite a lot of difference really. We're all, all the motors are unique. Nobody, uh, apart from when there's a customer team, is running the same motor as any of the other teams. So uh, in some ways, it is a bit like some of the other championships where on the, you know, you could say Formula One looks quite similar, but below the surface, the, the difference between the powertrains is quite significant. And then we also have to, no one race is the same. So when we're preparing for an event, these guys do an awful lot of preparation on the simulator here. And that's trying to work out and understand, taking our simulation data and wor what works for the drivers, what's going to be as fast as possible during that event. Interesting, thank you for the insight. So. You talked then a little bit about the preparation that happens with it before a Formula E race, lots of sim work, lots of, uh, I guess, strategy and data, that sort of Ooh. thing. But then it comes to the race day and it's a one day race format that comes with a whole heap of different challenges. Vinit, I want you to talk to me about the complex side of being an engineer in a one day race format. Yeah, you, Formula E is completely unique in this respect. And I think for um, all of us here around the table who've been in various other championships, bring their experience here, it is um, it's a bit of a shock initially. Um, it's um, it, it's a different type of challenge. Um, the the comments the race engineers made about that relationship with the driver becomes even more important to almost second guess what you're each going to need and each going to want. Mm -hmm. um, and I think also the, um, the 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 driver is um, 
even more key. So as 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 mentioned, the the, the cars are um, very similar in terms of a performance window. Um, we control um, an important but relatively small aspect of that window. The driver becomes um, a psychological um, event in the car. So half of the job of the guys is is technical, and and half of the job is to make sure that we're getting the best out of them from a uh, psychological point of view, making sure they're in the right frame of mind if they make a mistake or if a mistake occurs or if a red flag comes at the wrong time when they're preparing for a, a quick practice lap, bringing them quickly back to the baseline saying, nope, you're still, you're still in the right window, we're going to get the best out of you, come qualifying and come race, don't worry, is a really important as- aspect and I think you see that across the grid where um, one weekend you have a driver that can dominate an event mm-hmm. and the next weekend they put a single toe over the line and getting that day back to being a good one for them is very, very difficult. So, um, yeah, for, for us as engineers, it's, it's, it's very rewarding because everything happens on the, on, on the same day. And it's also massively frustrating at the same time because a tiny little thing that could be completely out of your control mm-hmm. upsets your day to the point where, okay, this one's not going to be at for us anymore and we have to wait for the next event. But you just have to focus on all the level of preparation. Interesting. Uh, and I want to just touch a little bit upon the infamous Jerome D'Ambrosio, a very, veter- very experienced, a veteran in, in Formula E. You're his race engineer. That, what, what's he like? Is he a bit of pain in the bum or is he, is he good? Well, is he very uh, pleasing to work with? Tell the truth. I've known Jerome for, it must be about 10 and a half years, because I remember uh, GP2, we actually tested him um, end of 2009. And then he was a quick driver, knew what he wanted for sure, and he's got a reputation for that. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it's all positive because you've got to drive him, or yeah, drive him, to use that in in a positive in a very positive way, and try to filter it that to make the car go quicker. So um, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say difficult, but you can, you can be very intense, which is good, um, which is good for the team. It makes sure that we're all doing our job. Mm-hmm. Um, and then his experience, yeah, he's um, yeah he's one, he's one of the most experienced drivers on the on the grid. So um, and we we rely on that a lot. It gets you know it can get us into um, it gets us into good situations and optimizes the opportunities that come up on the uh, on during the race weekend. So yeah, I think it is all positive. Um, yeah, that's it really. What's he like? So we know what he's like as a driver. He's obviously very talented. He's, he's, his reputation precedes him. But what's he like as a person? He's a very cheeky chap, isn't he, Jerome D'Ambrosio? He's pulling pranks on people. I've seen the way that he. Uh, he sort of teases members of the team, as, and me especially as well on the grid, he teases me as well. So, I mean, what's he like from that point of view? Um, I haven't seen too many pranks. I know Beppe gets a few of the... Uh, gets <laughs> I'll a come few, to that um, in a second. Yeah, gets a few sort of like uh, jokes his way, but I haven't seen any pranks yet. Um, yeah, he, yeah, he's always... Well, like when we're having a meal and everything, he's always chatting away and he's always got some good stories. Um, obviously, knows a lot of what's going on in the paddock. So... Um, that's a um, that's always good because he seems to know quite a bit of information that's going around, mm-hmm. so um, can give us a bit of a hindsight into things. So um, yeah, I haven't seen any pranks yet. So I'm sure he will. Time will go- time will come. Um, Joseph, I want to know about your your Jerome's performance engineer, right? So what in a bit more detail, what does that job entail? So yeah, I'm Jerome's performance engineer. Uh, I work with Tom, who is my race engineer. So basically, Tom is like the central point in our crew. Um, I'm more related ab- um, towards all about performance, so chassis, 
Uh, I'll also do quite a bit of driving with Jean because obviously these days it's just a one day race. So you have to make sure that er all the aspects about driving, about systems. So I also work with the with Angus department, mm. all the chassis in the right window just to operate well during the whole day. Um, yes, so I'm more, I'm more, let's say, looking, looking after all this performance aspect rather than Tom is more looking after the tires as well and also the, um, also the drivers something that I don't really don't, don't really do and also the crew obviously because we have four mechanics per car so yeah so yeah I work for Jerome for two years now mm -hmm. it's uh it's quite challenging but <laughs> on, honestly honestly it's really good I mean he's like uh he's very different uh at the track and uh, when we are outside of the track but he's a really nice guy and yeah it's good to work with him what was your reaction when you were told that you were going to be his his uh, performance engineer so was a bit particular for me because of obviously my first year uh, track side was with Jerome so you know I didn't really know what to expect mm -hmm. um, I think it was really good to start with Jerome because as you said he's an experienced driver and he brings you a lot as an engineer because basically knows where to orientate the, the performance of the team so I think for me it was really good obviously um, and yeah after it's as Cyril said I think it's just about knowing each other um, at the track as I say he's very different you know he knows exactly what he wants so there are no friends at the track. It's just okay. You need to to put the performance there, and that's it. Rather than outside the track, is more about okay. Yeah, let's go for a dinner. But uh, yeah, no. Honestly, he learned me a lot. He learned me a lot. I imagine your job goes beyond like kind of what you were saying there, beyond the track, beyond the the garage and the pit lane. You're sort of trying to get the best out of him and keeping him in a good mental spot away from the track as well. Is that almost <laughs> more challenging than than in the garage or or not? Yeah, I mean, at the end, you know, as I think as Vinit pointed it out, I mean, they are human beings. So, you know, I think there are m much more performance inside the mind than, uh, than in the car at the end because the car is just in the right window most of the time. And yeah, it's just putting the, the driver in the just in the right place in his mind just to perform well. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a job that you need to do, like probably at the track, but also outside the track at the end, you know, they can't just perform well if they're just if it's just a job. You know, I think it's more a patient for ev for every of us. So, yeah. This is definitely something that we are working uh, outside the track as well. So, you know, I'm, I keep in contact like quite often, like every every single week with him, trying to know what he's doing and all that stuff. So, yeah, it's a constant work, honestly. Like, uh, yeah, you cannot you cannot stop, basically. Interesting. Uh, and finally, but by no means least, the, the boss man, Dilbag, uh, you get to oversee these guys do their jobs. How are they as a team? Well, Saunders, I think... We've sort of built something from scratch, yeah? So we started my indoor racing with no one, and we didn't know much about motorsport, and I'm really happy to put this crew together. Like, Vin's been with me uh, right from day one. I think he's sort of employee number three. He joined us. He missed the first test in Donington, and since then, he's been with us. Wow. Yeah, and uh, so I think it's uh, it's something amazing, because my indoor racing, I said, like, we didn't have any pedigree in motorsport when we started, and now we are being a perpetual sort of contender in the last couple of years. And I think with this big step which we are doing in season six of bringing everything in-house, we are sort of reaching a stage where we feel from season seven onwards we'll be able to deliver a lot more consistency in a team. And that's been our biggest problem is delivering consistency. Okay. And uh, Formula E is such a competitive championship, but you've got really strong teams coming from all over the globe, different manufacturers, customer teams. But Mahindra's always been up there. Every season there's been races where you've really stamped your mark on the championship is now we've gone into season six where there's even more manufacturers. It seems like everything has stepped up. Do, do you feel like that there's a, an added challenge there to 
really to, to get those same results you've had in previous seasons or do you feel like stick stick with what you know and, and it will come? No, we have to step up the game. I think everyone stepped up the game and you can just see it in Marrakesh last week also. like What happened in season five to season six, you can just see the, the amount of... Uh, uh, thing that like the speed has stepped up, the energy consumption is lower. So you can see that each team has actually done a lot of improvement, and that's something I think which where we need to sort of uh, focus on. So I'm really hoping on the two race engineers sitting out here that there's no pressure on them, but I expect a lot more from these guys. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, I think we have the package. Uh, we have the drivers. We have the car, etc. It's just at the moment I think we can deliver it, which could come in the next race, which I'm, I think we are going to be there. Okay, great. So very conveniently, you've got two race engineers sitting opposite each other. And what I want to sort of dig into is, that, is there much of a rivalry between Team D'Ambrosio and Team Verline on either side of the garage? No, I'm not I haven't at all. seen it yet. Oh, I don't believe it. I don't believe that for a second. Come on. One team, one dream, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. No, no, for sure. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, one the first rule in motorsport is you have to beat your teammate. So, I mean, we can be nice to each other. Obviously, we all work as a team, but... As soon as the green light goes on, you know, one of the first rules in motorsport is you have to be your teammate because he's the only other drivers in, in the grid uh, that's got the same equipment as you. So, mm -hmm. for sure, oh, yeah, as soon as the, uh, the race goes on, it's, uh, it's yeah, it's less competition out there. We want to beat everybody else and we also want to beat each other. But in a good manner, I think it's like, you know, constructive um, rivalry you know that push the teams you know is the same with the drivers they have to work together to get the best out of the team uh, there's no point you know hiding information so the more open we are the better it is for the team you know uh, we can make more progress but obviously when they're on track the first thing they want to do is beat each other and uh, there's no difference for the race engineer so <laughs> let's it. be honest no no but you know what i mean it's for sure uh, if we can be one two it's perfect and obviously if i'm p1 it's, it's even better but the, the <laughs> no, but it's true. The, the <laughs> name of the game is to get the best result for the team. Uh, but also, yeah, there's, we do that. It's a competitive environment, and we are competitors. So, and I think the driver is the same. They know the rules that they have to beat the teammate, you know, uh, and use that as a challenge, as a motivation. So, but outside the track and even during the track, we will exchange, you know, all the information. Um, I don't have a huge amount of uh, Formula experience because that's only my second year. Just, uh, jo um, Tom, sorry, just join us. So firstly, uh, the best interest for the team is to work together. So mm -hmm. until that moment when they turn up to 250 and they go for it and it's up to them, we obviously work really well together and there's uh, um, there's no hiding information. After that, yeah, on track, obviously, everybody wants to to win, but only one one car can, can do that, so one crew. So after that, it's, yeah, may the best man win. Yeah, and also there's a lot of people in the team that look after both cars as well. So yeah. obviously we are race engineers for cars 64 and 94 and we have our performance engineers but most of the people in the team are actually looking after both cars okay. so it's a i see it and i think most people see it as a team but then in qualifying hopefully number 64 is in front of 94 but love that it's a brilliant and so well, i guess you kind of answered it there but how much does, does any competition go into in terms of detail i know the drivers are looking at each other and they're thinking okay he got a hundredth, hundredth of a second quicker here or this sector was a little bit quicker do you guys as a as a team of engineers say okay well we did a tire change practice and it was a half a second slower than these guys so do it better next time or is it is it less than that does it kind of lead into what you're saying there that those people might be on both teams yeah um yeah because really the only two people that are actually 
assigned to a car is the race engineer and the performance engineer. Everyone else is assigned across the whole team. Sure. So across the two cars. So when we're working on team, tyre changes aren't that often in, um, in Formula E, but when we're working on team uh, aspects, then it is about making sure that or from both sides, that person is doing the best they can. So both cars are given the best opportunity. So, okay. We've got some questions from uh, Mahindra fans that we're going to get to in just a second. But before, I I've got a question that I would, would like to know the answer to. Uh, some of the drivers in Marrakesh, Jerome including, was telling me about the challenges of reading data from the, the wheel back to engineers whilst battling. It's gone a lot better since he's wearing glasses. So. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, whilst battling, whilst uh, trying to defend, etc., uh, and I think that is a sort of aspect of Formula E that, yes, there is reading, you know, tyre pressure, things like that from in other motorsports. But there is that whole added element of being so precise with, you say, like uh, state of charge, things like that. From is it is it as challenging and as pressurised on the garage side of that as much as it is for the, for the team? Because obviously you've got other data in front of you to be telling back to the drivers. So I want to get a little bit of an insight on what that's like for you guys. Yeah, on my side, I think it's... I find it quite challenging, to be honest, because there's a there's a huge amount of information going back and forth, obviously, between the driver and, and the team. And it's even more challenging that most of this message or coded or whatever we use, energy call or whatever we might use, obviously. So uh, we try to hide this information from the other team. So uh, there's a huge amount of information going back and forth between between the drivers and, and, and the team. And obviously, you have to analyze how the race is, is going on. What's your strategy? What the other guys are doing? How to get the best out of it? Um, how to make sure you do a better job than the other team? So try to understand and 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 almost guess, you know, what the what the next move will be, uh, especially with the attack zone. There's kind of few strategy tools that we can use. So obviously, yeah, there's a lot of things going on at the back of the garage. Um, but I think for the driver, it's even more difficult. Uh, I'm always amazed when we we go to a race or even in, in the simulator that um, Pascal can drive, you know, at 200k, you know, be between walls and still giving me information that he reads from the steering wheel. So I guess in that aspect is is a good thing that he's driving and I've given him information and not the other round. So <laughs> and also for the ballast, but that's <laughs> that's an obvious question. But yeah, no, no, it's it's challenging. Is is from on my side is is quite different than what I'm used to to do before. Um, and it's very challenging and obviously sometimes uh, on TV people don't realize the complexity like like is the case in every other other series you know but what's really going on in the background it's it's a really massive chess you know game of chess battle between teams and the drivers and you know mm. who can have the best strategy and hide you your card you know and and come with the uh, with the aces you know at the end of the race and and pull a good move and a good strategy so yeah no there's a lot going on but uh, it's what makes formula also uh, very, very interesting. Uh, and Dilbag, just following on from that, when it comes to the energy, the energy management and the strategy, things like that. Um, say you've got an, an instance where there's one driver that feels that they've they've got a better better grip of energy management on that track. How how hard is it to manage that communication between the team and then into the cars? Because you know pressures are high, stress is high in the in the cockpit of a car, but there is a strategy, and it's you know one team, one dream, as it's already been said. How is it to make sure that, that gets through to the drivers? First and first, we set the rules of engagement before the race. So we do uh, try and look at every scenario. Mm -hmm. And depends on where the guys are starting, other cars are going to be together during the race or we expect them to be further apart. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes the rules of engagement get thrown out of the window once the <laughs> visor comes down and we have to remind them, okay, there are rules of engagement. 
are coming in. But I think in the end of the day, uh, both our drivers are, are mature. They've been in uh, like high flying motorsport for the last many years, so they do understand uh, the bigger goal of the of the team. Yes, while they do have their personal goals also trying to be the best on that particular day, they do in the end. I think do uh, shout, scream, and then you'll hear a few bleeps on on the official recorder in terms of what's what they've been speaking about. But I think those bleeps do get deleted, and these guys do understand okay that it's in the best interest of the team to try and bring things forward. And Formula E, as you know, is more of a thing where you have to be a farmer rather than a hunter. You have to just keep farming points in the championship. And yes. these guys sort of realize that, okay, you just have to go get the ones, twos, threes, and it all adds up in the end of the year in this championship. So you just don't have to go for glory all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something which, uh, especially I think Pascal's starting to come around because last year when he came and he was, yeah, out there pushing and uh, no wanted to sort of thing. And I think this year he sort of realized, yeah, he has to sort of pick up, pick up each bit. But overall, I think the rules of engagement are pretty clear. These guys also work very well together. The engineers work well with each other. And then, yeah, I'm sitting out there to give the final instruction. That's a, never a true point said that the idea that consistency in Formula E is massive. I did some calculations just for my own uh, geeky fandom uh, the other day. was uh, last season, if a driver had consi- uh, consistently got fourth place off the podium, they would have won the championship by 20 points. Which just says a lot, doesn't it? Just the idea that it's so hard to, to win a race and then match that win in the next race because of the qualifying system, everything like that. So, uh, yeah, kudos to the drivers and, and to you guys because that is a very challenging environment to, uh, to race in. Shall we look at some social media questions? Let's go for it. I want to warm you up first, though, because it is qu- I want some quick fire answers from you guys. I want it to be very energetic. Let's start with this. What did you have for breakfast? No breakfast. Breakfast. Cornflakes. Coffee and a cigarette. Toast. <laughs> Granola. Brandflakes. Not bad, but I want it quicker. What's your spirit animal? Sorry? What's your spirit animal? The Mindra Bear. Eagle? Yeah, bear. Rabbit. Tiger. Lion. Okay, I want double time now. Tea or coffee? Coffee, coffee. Have coffee for coffee sure. Coffee for sure. Coffee. Tea. Coffee. Who's harder working, Pascal or Jerome? None. <laughs> Jerome. Jerome. <laughs> Interesting. Jerome. Okay. Jerome. I'm going to say Pascal because they've all said Jerome. And <laughs> uh, finally, who's the better driver? I think I am. Quicker, quicker, quicker. Who's the better driver? Not I am. Pascal. <laughs> Both the same. Pascal. Pepe. Okay, there we go. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Brilliant stuff. Well, I think we're we're well and truly warmed up. Where Angus comes up is we had a local karting championship, and Pepe awarded himself, <laughs> and then went off to do some more practicing afterwards because he wasn't competitive enough. Excellent. I love it. Driving stays in the in the team. Love that. Um, okay, so let's get on to some fan questions. Fortunately, I have this rather lovely. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, trophy here, which was for best social media activation. Lovely stuff. And we've got some questions inside it. So I'm going to pull some out and then we'll answer them. One of the two. The, the second one, I actually I presented to you myself in the New York Gala. Did you? The last, yeah, yeah. Or well, me and Jack Nichols, anyway. I don't remember. Maybe there was a little bit of beverage. <laughs> maybe a few, yeah. It was the end of the season. You know, what can you expect? Okay, let's have a look. What the first question from the fans are. Oh, it's a long one. It's a long one. Okay. 
So this is from Facebook and Barry Taylor said, I don't get to watch many races because of the TV coverage. If you don't know that, it's different, obviously, which country you're watching in. But all the races are on YouTube uh, in the week after the race. And as well, have lots of other content, so you can catch up with it there. But I do enjoy listening to the driver's radio interaction with the team. How does Pascal Verlaine remain so composed when having a technical discussion regarding setting up a race when all around could be so chaotic? I think that's a perfect question for you. That's also show why he's a top driver as well, because he can be massively focused and on extreme um, with situation with extreme stress and uh, when there's a lot of pressure he can also be so calm on the radio and and that's something that that impressed me and that show his professionalism and uh, and also the caliber of the driver that he is so but yeah also for myself I'm, I'm quite impressed with with his level of um, technicality and also yeah how well he can handle pressure after that Obviously, you guys don't get to hear everything <laughs> because sometimes it's, it's challenging and maybe for us as well, we've got the button when we tell them to keep quiet. <laughs> okay. Uh, Vinny, I'm going to fire this one, next one at you. When there isn't a race weekend, does the driver test the car on a track privately with the team or do they just drive on the sim? Uh, we're limited by regulations how many test days we can do. Um, so generally, a lot of the prep, well, all of the prep for races is done on the simulator. And we can try a lot more things. Um, we can refine the track, um, especially if it's a new track. Um, and when we do testing, it's mainly for the next generation of Mahindra car. So uh, we'll soon start testing our Season 7 car in the next month or so. Okay. All right. Diving into the trophy for another question. And we have one from Jesspar. How long does it take to charge the car once it's reached 0% after an E-Pre? On the floor, whoever answers first. Yeah, let's go Let's go with you. Not, not the Pepe, no, Pepe, no pressure, come on. <laughs> this is for you, Joseph. So, yeah, I mean, this is more the, the, the job of the race engineer, but from what I understand... <laughs> <laughs> They've given you the mics. Yeah, an hour and 10 minutes, yeah. An hour and 10 minutes, okay, interesting. Right, next question. This is from Sarah Turner. During qualifying, the driver's gloves are often checked by scrutineers. What are they looking for and why? Who wants to jump on this one? No, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Obviously, <laughs> we've got the new biometric gloves, which Pascal loves, by the way. So uh, I think they're just checking that it's it's activated and it's working properly. Um, but the driver hates it, and Pascal in particular. So he tries to get rid of them every chance he gets. <laughs> so. But I think like, from a health and safety perspective, it's a huge improvement in terms of what we're trying to do. And I think what FI is trying to do with these uh, biometric gloves, because you start realizing what could potentially could be the impact of uh, if a driver's had a crash, etc. in terms of G's, like what we saw with uh, Daniel Apt in, um, mm -hmm. in Mexico. It is a glove which sort of gives the data. So even before the doctors get to the, the spot, there's already data transmitted back. And I think we should take this seriously in terms of a health and safety perspective that it's really important that this is one of the championships where Im data is immediately transmitted back. So even the, those few minutes it takes, or a few seconds it takes to get to the uh, to the driver, mm -hmm. you already know potentially where the impact has been and what's the size of the impact. So I think what FI has done out here is amazing and uh, hats off to these initiatives. Yes, it does irritate a driver carrying 10 extra grams in the glove or whatever it is. <laughs> Pascal, if you're watching, <laughs> the boss, you've uh, been told. Uh, but I think, yeah, at, at the end of the day, they will get used to it. And um, the first time, when they see one of their colleagues sort of be getting the benefit of this, like what we saw with Daniel App, mm -hmm. guys do realize that, yeah, this is a step in the right direction. Because the technology that, that we see in Formula E has gone so far since the, the start of the championship. Um, 
I mean, we've got the likes of their biometric gloves, but also things like driver's eye, which I know Jerome has had a few times in his helmet this, so far this season. How does he find that? Because as a fan or as, as Formula E, it's, an ama- it's amazing to watch. It's such great insight. But as a driver, is it annoying? or is He it hasn't complained about it, so I guess it's okay. So, um, Jerome enjoys the television. Yeah. 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 yeah, good, good, good. But from a, uh, from a fan's perspective, it's amazing, I think, to be able to have that sort of like insight to what the driver sees. So, um, yeah, there's been no moaning, so I guess it's good. Absolutely. I think it's really interesting because you see kind of what we touched upon earlier, the amount of things that a driver has to do during a race, the amount they look around. And I think there's an interesting thing, actually, I've noticed with the older drivers or the drivers that have been in the championship for a bit longer or a bit more experience. They seem to use their head a lot more than the, the younger drivers like the likes of Pascal. Where you see like Jerome and uh, likes of Felipe Massa like this, left and right, left and right, looking in the mirrors, left and right. Whereas Pascal almost does it with his eyes. You know, is that is that an actual difference, or is that just habit? I'm not noticed that. Must be habit, or their neck muscles have given out. One or the other. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe I'm uh, I'm over analysing it, but um, I always find it quite interesting that driver's eye. Okay, next question. Uh, what's the most challenging aspect of Formula E? I think Dilbag, do you want to answer this one? I think the, uh, the most challenging aspect of Formula E is getting it right the first time around. The day is short. We need to sort of get the cars up right from FP1. When you got the cars unloaded, it needs to be within the window of performance. Otherwise, we are, you're starting to chase the day, and then the day typically runs away from you. So I guess the preparation before uh, the race weekend is getting increasingly important. So that would uh, that's what I say is the challenges, the prep work which you guys do before we get there. Because once we get there, the day is literally like a blur. You get up in the morning, and before you know, the day is over in terms of stuff and um, I think the quality as you know is really important mm-hmm. and now with the shuffle sort of grids which sort of come in you okay while quality is important you also are looking at race performance going on so we we, ask, we have to look far ahead in the day in, despite it being uh, no, a short day. And from an engineer's point of view I kind of want to know obviously there's the driver the bits the drivers find difficult but what is the hardest part of your day? I think it's what Dilbag just pointed out is the fact that you cannot have a bad session or a bad day, you know. You know, the championship when uh, the race weekend is basically happening over several days, you can have a bad session and you can recover and you can take time to analyze the data and then try to make some changes and then come back, you know. And uh, in Formula E, you can't you can't have a, a bad session or because it's a bad day. A bad session means a bad day. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you start chasing your tail, then that's the weekend is over. You don't have time to think too much between sessions. You don't have time to do too much. We've got only an hour and a half. So everything has to be well prepared and we need to hit the ground running straight away. And like I said, we need to be in the window and then just go through little details. But as soon as that window, we missed it and we start chasing hotels, the day is over. And normally it's the weekend, not the weekend, the days are right off, which mm-hmm. turned out to be a weekend. So for me, that's the most challenging is how little time you've got between session and how well you have to come prepared to the track, covering every scenario possible. And make sure that basically during the day you're just going through the motion and you're just basically ticking the boxes and make sure that the last little the last little details you know are covered any more than that and you've missed the boat and you're out so this is the big challenge for me yeah I totally agree with that um it is all about the preparation before the event if you if well uh, so far we've all prepared well for the events I've been to, but if there's any hiccup in the actual event i think you had it at rehad with your car and with the first fp1 mm-hmm. then you're on the big you're on the back foot then and you don't catch you don't really catch up just due to the competition that is around you so um 
yeah, it's making sure those hiccups don't happen and, uh, yeah, being right up there. And Joseph, as a performance engineer, if Jerome isn't in a good mindset, mental state, does that make your life very difficult on a race day? Yeah, I think this is one of the, the biggest challenge for me. So basically, and now we start, I mean, we start, we have done quite a bit of preparation this year just to make the driver just in the right window uh, straight in FP1 for the first lap he, he does on the car. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, as uh, both race engineers said and as Dilbach said, I think the fact that it's uh, just a one-day race, a one-day event, it's super challenging because so many things evolve at the same time. Uh, like the track, gri the, the, the track grip, for example, you just have to be prepared and have your best guess in terms of setup, in terms of all the tricks that the driver needs to know about the track where he can gain lap time, what he has to be careful about during the races, etc. Uh, he needs to apply this straight during the first laps in FP1. Otherwise, you know that the weekend is it's mo mostly done, basically, so you cannot do do much about it. So, yeah, it's a lot of preparation, honestly. If you arrive not really prepared, you, ca you cannot do anything, honestly. Interesting stuff. All right, let's dive back into the trophy of questions. And we have, how did you become a race engineer? What degree did you pursue? Uh, open to any anyone who wants to um, that one. So... First of all, I actually raced myself when I was a teenager. Um, did a bit of uh, karting and car racing, and then was t then went into university. Did an automotive degree at Oxford Brooks, and then did became after that a design engineer. Long time ago, I'm trying to remember what I did. Uh, <laughs> then there was a composite design engineer, and then moved over to the racing side of the the, the uh, company I was working for. Right. That, that was um, GP2 and Formula Renault at the time. Okay. So. Um, and then, yeah, that was only something like 16, 17 years ago. So uh, a long time ago. And Vinit, we know you've been part of Mahindra for uh, almost since day dot, but how did you get to that point? Yeah, um, so um, I think like most people around the table had wanted to do it from um, being very young, um, pursued uh, a degree in engineering. Um, and then it's w the, the, the challenge is, is not qualifying for your degree. The challenge is getting a job and, and to get the job in the in the beginning and i think as, as many people probably everyone around the table has done you, you make certain sacrifices you see either about you know, moving away from home and family um potentially working for free which is what i did for for um while i finished my studies mm -hmm. um, and that opened the door um and then i got my initial role as a race engineer in formula three um that uh, lasted for uh, almost a decade in formula three and other junior single-seater championships i then went into formula one working on the pirelli tire project um, and then when I decided that wasn't really uh, a path for me, I jumped over to Formula E as soon as it became available. So um, haven't looked back. Um, but yeah, if you're if you're out there looking to get into the sport, engineering, numerate degrees. But in in this championship, I've also got to say that we need to focus on people who are looking at electronics degrees, which mm -hmm. is where Angus's background is. Um, uh, computer computer science degrees. Um, the electronic element of the car is the area we have the freedom over. So yeah, if you want to be like these guys, race engineering, performance engineering. You can go down the path that like Tom and I have just talked about, but if you want to get involved in the technology, um, go into those um, areas of education where you can be at the forefront of all of the, the new tech that's coming out now. That's interesting that what you just mentioned there, but because you think of the future of, of not just motorsport, but for road cars is very much going down the, the lines of electric mobility. So um, I guess what would be really interesting to know is the idea, Angus, this is a question for you, is what do people need to be thinking about if they want to get into uh, a job that revolves around powertrains and electronics and things like that within, say, something like Formula E? 
there are two different ways you can go about it because there's a lot of motorsport degrees out there at the moment and certainly it's becoming probably harder to get a job in motorsport without a motorsport degree myself i came through a more conventional route i did just electronics mm-hmm. um, and actually some of the best design engineers not not the, the trackside engineers i know um, even in electronics and mechanical engineers because they come with a good understanding so i think the main thing is getting an understanding of the system because we're past the point of just you know going back to probably the 80s 70s we were just bolting an engine management system on to fuel inject an engine we're past that point and these cars are now a very highly integrated piece of kit we're, we're making compromises maybe to the motor because we can then get more out of the uh, the gearbox it isn't just a case of individually getting the best out of it so i think it's having a passion for engineering having a, a an understanding of the bigger picture um, and certainly if you want to go trackside i think most people probably agree you need to go for a, a motorsport degree yeah. um, but for for design getting involved in the design side of things in the powertrain you can get getting a, a mixed level of understanding of mechanical and electronics uh, i think is the best personally how how essential is it? Do you think uh, a, how essential is a degree in race in being a race engineer or, or a powertrain um, engineer or or even a team principal? How 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 much does a degree help you on your way, or is it not essential? Um, I'd say it's quite essential because until you get to that level of education, um, you're you need you need to understand the fundamentals of what's happening to the car um, from a from a uh, first principles level. Um, these guys have all got it. They don't talk about it every day and they don't look like bottoms, but under the surface, they know exactly what's going on. We have that confidence in they can diagnose a problem quickly because they've had the education behind them to know that um, the, 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 the fundamental basics of either vehicle dynamics or any numerate problems, be it down to the control systems and software, um, they, can, they, can, they have that basis to know exactly how things work. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's a very fundamental thing. When you have that at your core, and you learn that at a, a young age when, when you're studying, um, you will apply it in your future life um, on a day-to-day basis without really knowing that you're applying it. And yes, we have mm-hmm. software tools that help us do all those things, but if those tools break down or you need to develop those tools, which we also do in-house, all of those core skills are, are what you lean upon very heavily. That's really interesting. I was going to add in there, I think unfortunately, in some ways, a degree is a door opener. You need it to get the interview to get the job. Um, I think by the time you're at the level that we're all at, you know, I, I was a bit of a layabout at university. I didn't really study properly um, and I used very little of what I learned there. So most of my job is based on experience and I think that probably goes for most people here. So from a technical point of view, do you need a degree? No, I would say. I've seen some of the best people have, have been people who just learnt on the job. Um, sometimes people have been mechanics and then worked up. Uh, and there's quite a few examples of, of fairly senior people in F1 mm-hmm. who have started off as electronics technicians or mechanics. But as Ben said, unfortunately, I think there are two things. Firstly, teaching you the myth- methodical approach, which is certainly something you, you, you learn at university. And it really, it's that door opener. Uh, it's, it's getting harder and harder for people to get interviews for jobs. Uh, and motorsport is just a good example of that because it's a popular area uh, if you haven't got a degree. Some really nice answers there. I think a lot of the, the listeners and viewers will be quite inspired and, and feel like they've got a bit more understanding there. So thanks, guys. While I pick one more question, Dilbag, how do you become a race, en- uh, not race engineer, a team principal? Well, I think from my side, it's more of resources. So my job is to manage resources. So I would look at it like three different types of resources. It's human resources, find the right people for the team. Financial resources, get the right budget and uh, manage the right budget. And third is technical resources, find the right partnership. So that's where, where I step in is just looking after these three areas. Because I can't make the car go any faster. Yes, I can pay the bills for the car. 
to go faster, find the right talent to make them work together. And I think sort of be like the conductor of the orchestra where you sort of put a, put something together and try and get a symphony out of it. Yeah. But out here, yeah, yeah, as you know, it's a bit of an English and a bit of a French symphony. But it's quite <laughs> I like that. It's very poetic. Um, okay, so this is a question, a question actually, I think, um, for you, Cyril. Um, so we have seems like we didn't get the didn't get to see on the TV broadcast about Pascal's puncture at the Marrakesh E-Prix. Can you explain what actually happened? Uh, yeah, he was just in a fight with Sam Bird, and I think there was a bit of robbing going on. And uh, after we passed Bird, I think Bird was kind of eager to get the places back, and unfortunately made contact with Pascal. And we were very unfortunate because actually we got hit right into the uh, shredder valve. Uh, that's what gave us uh, immediate puncture. So even though the contact was not massive, uh, the way the contact happened, which was exactly on the tire valve, meant that uh, we had a puncture straight away. So I don't believe we uh, they actually broadcast the, uh, the contact between the two drivers. I'm sure you heard the, <laughs> the radio, though. <laughs> it was quite colorful. You need a few beeps on that one. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it was... It, they're very aggressive out there. And I think there's a lot of action happening in Formula E, but I think... This is what makes the championship so interesting and what makes it different than other series. For example, when after the first lap you can take a nap and wake up an hour and a half later and then you know that nothing happened. It's not the case in Formula E, so I think that sometimes you get on the wrong end of it, but I think it's the DNA of the championship what makes it interesting. So uh, I think we shouldn't change that, even though sometimes, yeah, like I said, you come on the wrong end of it. So, yeah. But we come back stronger and then, uh, Pascal will put a, a decent performance and we'll bring some more silverware for the boss because I can see he's giving me the the big eyes because there's a lot of pressure for deliver some good results. So, uh, yeah, we'll do that next next race. Nice, absolutely. Okay, we've got time for one more question. Uh, and this comes from Instagram. What is the most difficult thing to manage during the race? Who wants to jump on this one? I think you all probably have different uh, areas you can comment on here. <laughs> System. <laughs> The system, okay. Yeah, system people in general. System are quite simple, but the system people they're very they're, <laughs> the people they're like very that. tricky. You know that you have to make the right request in advance and all that. And otherwise, they get they well, get grumpy. I would say is if if something happens in the race that you're not expecting, um, like with um, Jerome in the first lap, we lost uh, quite a lot of places. Sure. So we we um, yeah from what was a very good first corner we made up a place but then down to turn four and five we lost about three or four places it's then trying to work out how we're going to go forward from there so it's when i guess we called it a hiccup mm -hmm. um occurs then it's how to deal with that so um if, it ever, if the race runs to plan then um it's well not it's not easy but it's a it's a lot easier than when you get have a problem or a hiccup come into the race so sure I think I think you can summarize it as that that the the hardest thing to manage is the is the pressure and that's on all the individuals that, you know the pr the pressure that's on the drivers is the race engineer's job to try and manage and and try and make the best out of a bad situation the 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 energy side is on the performance engineers to manage the pressure of making sure we've got the information we 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 need because sometimes the drivers don't give us the the numbers we need and and he needs to make sure that he does get them out of them so everyone here is is um king of management of pressure um yeah it comes in lots of different shapes and forms and, and affects us all differently um but that's that's the key keeping cool under all of that pressure to to try and extract the best result you can interesting because i guess one of the hardest things about formulary is 
you can prepare only so much because it's, it's, it has such an unpredictable nature. You know, the, I guess the biggest stress is actually having to be able to react from these things that are just completely out of your control that seem to happen almost every lap in the championship. Yeah, and, and I think you know all drivers, no, no matter what they want to say after or before, you know the, the red mist comes in. Mm-hmm. So that these these guys, that Cyril and, and Tom, have got to try and like temper that or understand how that manifests in their drivers to then say the right thing there might be a trigger word they might have worked on something in the deal to like bring them back to the middle and whatever that distraction was make it temporary and, and focus on what the end result can be and, and make sure that's the best so it's it's um it's a it's a big game it's a big game of 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 knowing what which part of your emotions help you and which part of your emotions you need to keep under control and using the people around you i think in, in formula e you need to do that more than in all, all, all the other types of racing i've been involved in very very interesting stuff well guys thank you very much for joining me and answering the questions and for the questions themselves the passioneers sent us some cracking questions thanks very much for that um so yeah that's it that's a wrap for another episode of straight talk uh, if you did like the podcast if you like listen to it you like watching it remember to uh, subscribe and comment and let us know what you like about it any other questions you may have send them in and i'm sure they'll be answered in another in another podcast the podcast is available on all of the normal podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc., as well, of course, as this video version, if you're watching right now, on YouTube. But I guess that leaves me to say until next time, thanks very much for watching.